Hello and welcome to the Better Human podcast. My name is Adam Wagner and I'm a barrister specialising in human rights. And this podcast is all about human rights. Today I'm delighted to be joined again by David Allen Green, a lawyer and writer. And we will be tackling the tricky issue of the lockdown legislation during the coronavirus crisis. And I should give my usual disclaimer that nothing we say in this podcast is intended to suggest or imply that you shouldn't follow the government's coronavirus guidelines or keep to the law. Um, However, that's not to say that the law couldn't be done better. And that's what we're discussing. The Better Human podcast is supported by Goldsmiths Law and their pioneering new LLB undergraduate course taught in London. If you're interested in studying law, please go and visit gold.act.uk forward slash law. If you want to support this podcast and also find all of the show notes for today's episode, please go to www.betterhumanpodcast.com and any kind of monthly contribution would be hugely appreciated and it would help keep this podcast going. And please also consider leaving a positive review wherever you get your podcast, as it really helps get this podcast in front of other people. Morning, David. Thanks very much for coming back on the podcast. Um, I really appreciate it. This is, uh, uh, I guess, our fourth recording um, about these lockdown laws. Uh, we've not done one for a while now. And, uh, no, no, Adam, it is recording about coronavirus regulations, brackets number four, close brackets. Um, this is our fourth <laughs> about coronavirus regulations, open brackets, number four, close bracket, amendment, 2020 discussion. Uh, so I, I thought, you, I, I noticed I've been keeping a, a, a geeky little table of yes, all you of have. the regulations, um, which I've sent to you. It's not complete, actually, because it only has the um, it only has 32 different sets of regulations which have been enforced or been brought in since February. Um, but what thing I noticed is that, first of all, we're approaching 50. If you include all the amendments to the quarantine regulations, we're approaching 50 different sets of regulations, all passed by the flick of Matt Hancock's pen. It's um, an extraordinary uh, collection of documents. It, when you sent over the table listing all the documents, all the statutory instruments with their increasingly cumbersome titles, I, I, I thought about Jorkin's... Hercules, you know, the judge he posits as being able to master any legal instrument and information so any point can be decided, uh, a sort of judge of infinite capacity. It's just so you could come to an answer on any particular legal point. And looking at all of these regulations and clicking into some of them, I think even Dworkin's Hercules would have a struggle now to master all the law which has been passed this summer uh, regulating coronavirus and the response to coronavirus and, and we're going back actually and i think this week is the is the sixth month anniversary so the first set of coronavirus regulations which was brought in under the public health act 1984 was the 10th of february so it's just under six months ago we've had close to 50 variations and, and basically what's happening is that the Matt Hancock, the health secretary, um, although you know nominally Matt Hancock, because I'm guessing other ministers are involved, are bringing in new criminal laws every single week. They change every single week. So it's, it's on average once a week. Complicated new criminal laws that come in, 
and we've discussed this before, they, they usually, um, he signs them and then they, they come into force either at that moment or the next day or maybe a few days later on if we're lucky. Um, and this, mm-hmm. is quite, this is quite different to how laws are normally passed in a democracy, wouldn't you say? It's ex- it, again, it's extraordinary. Uh, in the years to come, we will look back at this uh, exercise as some sort of experiment on how to use and misuse law in an emergency. And to your credit, Adam, uh, many of us started off trying to master the intricacies of the coronavirus regulations. And then eventually, I think you were the lone runner left in this <laughs> I'm the place. last one. The last one standing. I mean, you know, to, to be well, fair... I don't know if you've given up yet, but... I've, I've, I've nearly given up. I mean, to, to be fair, I have been working on this because I've been still working with the um, Joint Committee on Human Rights on their coronavirus um, invest, uh, inquiry. So so as part of that, I do um, have a sort of professional responsibility to keep up with these. Um, but also I've taken on a kind of role on, on Twitter, especially... Of, of just trying to, because I, I worry that no one else knows when these things come in. I, I don't think I don't think the police know. I don't think the most of government knows. I think they're just brought in, um, and a few, obviously the, the ministers who are involved in them know. Um, but I don't think there's any great effort by the government to say this is what the current law is. Um, so I've tried to play that role, but it's it's really. Does it not disturb you, Adam, that of all the millions of people who have had to try and find hobbies during the coronavirus crisis, you are the only one who has actually done this? <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's everybody. I actually think there's a few other people. If you, there, there was a, there was someone who tweeted us yesterday from um, who's been running the Wikipedia pages, which I haven't. Oh, those are impressive. They're really, Wikipedia pages. I wish a lot of legal Wikipedia pages were half as good as this. That is a labour of love. They are. They are remarkable pieces of work. And, and, and the Hansard Society have got a very good um, website as well about all the regulations. There have been a few sort of uh, lone voices. Okay, okay. Um, it, mo- most lawyers and indeed almost any human being would not be able to keep up with what's happened. And that in itself, regardless of the substance of these regulations, is concerning. Yeah. We have a situation where it is almost impossible for even a lawyer, let alone a normal human being, to keep up with what they are, coercive powers and and the criminal law. I, I also think there is a certain flaw in how it's how, in the approach. It's been it seems quite misconceived to treat the law like some sort of grand graphic equaliser where you keep fine tuning the law with legal instrument after legal instrument as you say, announced uh, and taking effect immediately with nobody seeing these things in draft, I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to see how there could be much practical consequence to these laws because it's quite difficult to understand what the law is at any one particular point. There has been a practical consequence um, for a lot of people because particularly for the first three months or so that these came into force. So this was when you weren't allowed to leave your house without a reasonable excuse or be or gather in a public place. Yes. Um, the, the, the police gave out over 17,000 fixed penalty notices in, I think, March to the end of May. Um, I agree that, that at the beginning there were practical consequences because people were trying to keep up with the law and the police were trying to keep up and enforce the law. But what I'm thinking about now is for the greater amount of legislation which is in place, I'm unsure 
how it is actually making any impact in over and above the guidance which is being given out and be sort of soft. It's be- it's become strong signalling, um, and and I'm guessing yeah. that somewhere in Dominic Cummings's drawer in his office there is a little yeah. table with um, all the behavioural insights into the, the the different measures that can be taken um, for. Uh, stopping people doing things during the during the lockdown or, or enforcing the lockdown, but I guess when law becomes signalling, and I know you've written about this a lot in the past, it's not really law, is it? It's something else. No, yes, yes. Uh, the dreadful phrase enshrining in law or using law to send 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 a signal, and obviously, if you want to send a message, use a pigeon. It's you shouldn't be using law like this, or at least that's what I would say. It'd be interesting once the emergency recedes to actually look to see whether this way of using law worked. I don't can't see how it has, but at the moment we don't have sufficient evidence and data. It would also be quite interesting to compare and contrast what has happened in England and the United Kingdom more generally with other jurisdictions because we've had a num- we have a number of different national responses to how you use law uh, in respect of the coronavirus emergencies and one extreme of course is, i think is sweden which has used very little law it's been in- almost entirely based on non-legal guidance uh whilst we have heavily legislated and rapidly legislated and there will be a lot of interesting comparisons and contrasts to be made once this all sort of recedes. Isn't the difficulty, though, um, from a liberal perspective and from a democratic perspective, that once the government gets used to legislating in this way, um, mm-hmm. you know, for, by by statutory instrument, which doesn't require, j- just so people understand, none of these um, laws that have come into force require prior parliamentary approval so as soon as they're signed by the minister they come into force or they or they come into force the next day it's law by decree Uh, if you strip away all the constitutional fictions this is just law by decree Uh, and of course it's unacceptable from any liberal point of view other than in exceptional circumstances and yes the government is getting used to being able to just legislate criminalize prohibit create coercive sanctions uh, as easily as just clicking fingers. And of course, this is concerning. But on the other hand, nobody seems to care that much about it politically. There's very few politicians who have said, actually, aren't we going about this the right way? And very few people would say that there is any genuine exceptional need for the law to be washed into effect in the way it is at the moment without any prior information about what laws are coming in there's a there's a bit from the transcript of a tortoise podcast i don't know if you heard it um but it was the it was, it was the podcast about um what happened when boris johnson was ill with coronavirus mm-hmm. and it says this um, and i don't know how accurate this is or not um it says as matt hancock the health secretary had put it to boris johnson slamming his hand on the table We've got to tell people that they can't do anything unless it's explicitly allowed by law. Legally, the revolution, even if it was meant to be time limited, normally people are free to do what they, what they like unless the law prohibits it. But Matt Hancock's radical suggestion, which he described as Napoleonic, flipped the British tradition. 
In lockdown, people would be forbidden from doing anything unless the legislation said in terms that they could do it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, that, that is a contradiction from what is taken to be the usual liberal position under English law, which in many ways is is a bit of a fantasy. But yes, that is a contradiction of what should be the approach. And interestingly, they've only been able to get away with this because they some bright spark worked out how wide the Public Health Act is for, for this sort of purpose. Could they do this for another area of policy? Well, there is the uh, Civil Contingencies Act in place, which is what the law should be for dealing with emergencies. And that requires a fairly strict legislative and judicial regime to be uh, followed. But the government realised they didn't actually have to go through that. They could just ram it through the very wide uh, provisions of the Public Health Act. And one thing which your colleagues on the Joint Committee should be looking at with anxious scrutiny is should the Public Health Act be looked at so to make it consistent with the Civil Contingencies Act in terms of legislative and judicial supervision? Yeah, so so, uh, under the Civil Contingencies Act, emergency regulations have to be laid before Parliament as soon as reasonably practicable. Um, But but if they're not laid within seven days, then they expire. Um, And they they are amendable um if not um they're, they're amendable by the house so and that's very and, and they also lapse automatically at the end of 30 days um now that is completely different to these um regulations under the public health control of disease act 1984 because first of all they don't have to be laid until 28 days later which in th- this day and age means they're basically they've been replaced anyway by then um and and if parliament's in recess as it in as it is now and the recess doesn't count and the time only starts tick the timer only starts ticking after recess um, and also they can they can last up to six months i think these um the coronavirus regulations so it's a completely different story um that they're, they're it's pretty permanent really you could keep this going for years yes and i can't see any good reason why we have a regime for emergency legislation with strict safeguards and also this public health regime where none of those safeguards are in place. If why, why should a public health emergency, as opposed to any other form of emergency, mean that there's no political, democratic, judicial, parliamentary supervision? There's no good reason. Uh, and so but it should be regularised. Looking at the actual legislation which has gone through though some of it's quite remarkable it's it goes from the very general with the widest possible prohibitions but just flicking through i've noticed uh not only the area specific ones like for leicester and other areas but there's actually a statutory instrument just for a single company uh anybody who actually worked on the premises of a company called green it's almost as if it's like a, a, a parliamentary aspo on 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 particular uh, entities. And so we've got all sorts of legislation being passed under the Public Health Act from the widest possible things to what is effectively micro company premises specific legislation. And it, it, it's in time, looking back at this, it's just going to be it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how any of this actually worked. 
The Better Human podcast is supported by your contributions. If you find it useful and interesting, I would really appreciate if you consider giving just $3 a month. That's just over £2 via our Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash better human. And if a couple of hundred people do that, then that will make the podcast sustainable and I can carry on interviewing interesting guests about fascinating human rights subjects. Well, well the, the power, one of the things that the government has done quite recently is given local authorities and itself a, a, a effectively delegated a new power to do exactly what you just said. So to shut particular businesses or kinds of businesses or kinds of places in a particular area. So a local authority now can make a direction rather than having to go to regulations. They can make a direction that all parks or all McDonald's or all um, play schools in the in a particular area, however small, can shut. Um, and there's an appeal process within that structure. But it's it's quite a power. Like you say, it, it's almost as if all lawmaking um, about this public health crisis, which may, may go on for years, has been um, has been given over to directions and statutory instruments and effectively bypassed Parliament completely. I mean, what's Parliament got to do with any of this? Well, just like there's an R number in coronavirus for reproduction number, uh I'm I'm wondering if there's an L L number for the number of laws which are being made on coronavirus and whether there should be some sort of alert if the L number is we're getting more than one new statutory provision going through going through without proper supervision every week because at the moment we seem to be having fairly high L number in that in in that way and could this carry on is there any reason now Although it is an emergency insofar that, uh, of its severity, but surely there is no case now for this impromptu day-by-day legislation. So what, what's it going to be like in six months, do you think, Adam? I, I think this is, going, this is going to carry on um, indefinitely. I think this kind of lawmaking is because, like you say, the key point is that nobody's that bothered. Yes, um, no, there's no no political party, no no particular. You know, I haven't seen any of the big think tanks come out uh, against this this approach to legislating, and there seems to be a sort of general public. I think people are very sick and tired of the rules themselves. You know, I, I, for yeah. example, the the quarantine rules, which are I, I've, I've only really been looking at them properly this week, and I should have looked at them earlier. But this is when people have to come back from um, from abroad and, and self isolate for fourteen days. I mean, there's, yeah. there's not even a provision for allowing them to go out for exercise. They're, 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 they're only allowed to go out to shop in exceptional circumstances. That's the word. Yes, I saw. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, it really is. I mean, this is tens of thousands of people it's affecting who are basically, it's basically, you talk about micro lockdowns. It's kind of micro lockdowns for individuals rather mm-hmm. because of their particular characteristics. They've been, they've been away um, from the country rather than any being in a particular area. But I think that this kind of law um, is going to continue. I, I think I read something towards the beginning of the crisis, there's the, and I will find the link, a good article about emergency legislation. And it, it was the, the, prep, the thesis of it was something along the lines of, since the Second World War, there's been all this emergency legislation and none of it has ever been repealed. Mm-hmm. 
none of the terrorism laws, none of the um, none of the troubles laws. They they've all stayed on the statute book in one form or another, or kind of morphed into something else. But they've all been brought in with a per- with a purpose of you know this is a three month response to an urgent crisis, and and I don't think any of it has ever gone. And obviously they ebb and flow in, in terms of the usage, control orders, that sort of thing. But this this is this feeds in uh, into that new book by uh, Secret Barrister, which I've I've reviewed over at Prospect. It's yeah, misuse and abuse of law is there, but no, until you can actually make people care about this, uh, it's not it's not enough for people like you to point out that the law is being misused and that there are certain constitutional safeguards which are being are not being complied with politicians and the media don't care and until and voters don't care and until people can begin to care about these constitutional trespasses there's no real point actually pointing them out because what why you know this there's no democratic safeguards all these things have gone through the nod and people are just going to shrug and at the moment politicians and lawmakers know this they know they can get away with this cavalier approach to uh, formality and accountability but it's like the world wartime cry don't you know there's a war on it's that there is no body of opinion no center of gravity to actually say actually this is wrong and that is is perhaps from a legalistic point of view the most worrying side of this is that people don't mind that there is an abuse and misuse of law uh even when it's pointed out that it is well i i, I mean one of the problem this i mean this comes back to the point of human rights law really because human rights law you often find that the hard cases are about people about people that the public don't like mm-hmm. or don't have sympathy towards and i'll just give an example actually um uh, piers corbin <laughs> to bring up an example from this weekend piers corbin was was on the um is jeremy corbin's brother but it doesn't make any difference that he is but he was one of the organizers of, of a rally in central london on saturday um, which was a sort of COVID skeptics rally, and it brought out the uh, people wearing literal tin hat, uh, uh, tin hats. There were fascists there. It was a real sort of um, uh, uh, muttly crowd, motley crowd, not muttly crowd. Uh, maybe it was a muttly crowd as well. He was fined ten thousand um, pounds under a new rule, which came into force on Friday, which was brought, uh, which d- appeared out of nowhere as they do on Thursday afternoon at two o'clock in the yeah. afternoon. Um, and he was fined ten thousand pounds, and 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 but he was reportedly fined ten thousand pounds because anybody who is caught um, organising, um, yeah. holding or being involved in the holding of a gathering of, of over thirty people and in a public place or a private dwelling, um, and who doesn't come under a number of statutory excuses. So there are, you know, if you're a charity or a political body or a public authority which complies or a school, with, or a school, yeah, which complies with. Um, with social distancing rule, yeah. then then you don't fall into this. But he fell into that rule, and and, and obviously it's it, and the amount is fixed. I think, isn't it? It's it, no discretion. It must be ten thousand pounds. I understand. It's fixed, and it exactly it has to be. So up to now, there've been a hundred pounds. These fines, yeah, uh, ri- rising to three thousand two hundred for six consecutive offences. But these are these are absolutely fixed. They're ten thousand pounds. So they could apply to any spontaneous Black Lives Matter or um, Extinction Rebellion um, protest with over, over 30 people. In, in- but the, problem, the problem here, Adam, is that 
if we had a protest about this misuse and abuse of law, nobody would turn up, not even Piers Corbyn, I suspect. No, no I, 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 well, we would be there. We would be there with our, with our banner, us two and Donovan Sumption. Yeah, Sumption. Yeah, I mean, well, well, we could have it in his chateau, his chateau in the south of France. Yes. But, but yeah, I mean, but it's serious, isn't it? Because you can see the unintended consequences of all of these laws, which apply to 65 million people or, you know, however many in, in England. Um, and they come in without scrutiny. They are severe. They change every week. They change more, often more than once a week. They come in, they, they sort of flash up in a particular area and then they disappear. They can apply to a particular business. Um, and it is a very serious situation. Tens of thousands of people have died. Um, but is there, do you think, I just want to end on this question, do you think there's a better way of doing this? Just on the basis, this is a very serious crisis. On the basis, it is the most serious public health crisis um, it, probably in our lifetimes. It's very urgent. What do you actually, What do you propose doing apart from this? I think there are two concerns. The first is a practical procedural point is, there is no reason why the laws under the Public Health Act can't be subject to the same safeguards as laws made under the Civil Contingencies Act. And as a matter of process, that would lead to better lawmaking, better supervision and a more rigorous approach to lawmaking. So that is one thing which could and should be done differently. But there's a second more general point that once you start moving away from legitimacy and accountability in lawmaking, you take advantage of the general shrug of people about, oh, well, it doesn't really matter how these laws are being made because there's an emergency on. You 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 then have a problem about legitimacy and about accountability. You've poisoned the wells, so to speak. And I can understand why some in government, uh, some people associated with Dominic Cummings and so on, would actually not mind people not caring about how laws are made, about not caring about whether processes are taken into account and whether there are checks and balances. And so as well as the procedural point where we could actually have better lawmaking, there is a wider concern here about legitimacy and accountability and whether those two will be victims of 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 this emergency i think we'll end it there thanks very much david i really appreciate you taking the time no worries many thanks and uh, thank you for for inviting me on so thank you very much to my guest david allen green for coming on the podcast again he is at david allen green on twitter highly recommended if you don't follow him already the Better Humour podcast is kindly supported by Goldsmiths Law and their pioneering new LLB undergraduate course taught in London. And you can find out more about the Goldsmiths Law course at gold.act.uk forward slash law. If you want to support this podcast and help make it sustainable, please consider giving a few pounds a month at www.betterhumanpodcast.com. And you can also find all of the resources and links that we refer to in today's podcast right there. So thank you very much. I'm Adam Wagner. This is the Better Human Podcast. See you next time.